Okay, so did you hear that thing where it's like, if you're in a room with high higher ceilings, groups tend to think more ambitiously or like they have bigger ideas than if they were in like a very claustrophobic space? No, I didn't hear that. And so that's, I mean, as you might imagine, I'm so interested in it. Okay, tell it. it was I, there I any more to the story? That, I'm going to cite the source, which is TikTok. So you should definitely look into that. Welcome back to Sound Up Governance. In keeping with my habit of bringing people I barely know on the show just because they challenge me or say really interesting stuff, I'm super grateful to have had the chance to chat with Vancouver's Jen Fong, a consultant at Realize Strategies who specializes in governance. In fact, Jen was formerly with Watson Advisors, which is probably Canada's most prominent governance consulting specialty shop. So despite being very young, Jen's seen a lot of governancey stuff. Most importantly, she's deeply nerdy about it and occasionally reaches out to me with the most delightful and skeptical questions. And it just became clear that she'd be a perfect guest for the show. So let's hear more about Jen. Basically, I did my science degree at UBC. I did it in behavioral neuroscience, which dealt in sort of the combination of physiology and psychology. So what happens in your brain when you sleep? What happens in your brain when you feel motivated? What does motivation look like? And you took science courses and you also took, I'm using quotes here, arts courses, where you learned about like human dynamics and and more what people think of as psychology. Anyways, did my degree, realized I wasn't suited for the practice of science because I found it taxing. And I saw that I was most curious about how big important groups make decisions and how interconnected things like the government was to the economy to people's welfare to people's need for social services for for all these different aspects of our lives which led me to wonder like how do we how do these groups of people make the right decision and use their resources in the right ways to better the lives of their citizens, right? Um, All said and done, I landed at U of T for a master's of public policy and governance. U of T is Canadian for the University of Toronto. Which was probably the two most difficult educational like years of my life. I was just so unused to that sort of learning style. In science, you know, it's like, here are the facts, learn them, and then put them on a piece of paper for a test. But there was more of a discussion like what are you actually thinking about this like what are the relationships you're seeing like explain it and I just was not used to that and the amount of reading oh my god I was not used to that but I ended up working in at the Ontario Public Service for a little while then moving back to Vancouver without a job Um, and Watson was hiring at that time and applied got in actually didn't know anything about board governance at all like it wasn't even a topic that I governance itself, not yes, a topic, but in terms of government, but not in terms yeah. of boards or any other sort of groups of people that do any kind of governing. And it was just it felt like my professional growth just like fast tracked the moment I stepped into Watson. Like mm-hmm. really deep dive into this concept that that I never knew anything about, really high performing people that made me perform better like I learned so much about just 
everything consulting like how to think about things like how to think in systems like how to it was just a really good time <laughs> a really interesting yeah. time learning so that's how i ended up in governance like accident jen's path to the corporate governance world is so typical in its i guess serendipity is the word i'm looking for like almost everyone i know in the space including me we got here entirely by accident Anyway, one great example of Jen reaching out to me with a really provocative nugget was that she'd just heard a speaker describe the role of boards of directors as risk mitigation, which gave me pretty strong feelings and reactions. Beyond wanting to provoke me, what did Jen find interesting about the notion of boards as risk-reducing machines? It was just so different than how I viewed governance that I felt and I, and I posed this question to my other governance, governance colleagues too. I just felt I needed to get a sense check on whether or not I was drinking some kind of juice yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the thing, you know? I'm like, I believe governance is not that. I think it is so much more around... Actually, I really enjoy like the way you see it, like the conditions we need, right? right. There's this design piece. It's, it's like I said, process, dynamics, like design, all these things together. And often people do think of it as only compliancy or risk mitigation or like structures and check things they need to do, but then set aside because there's other important work that needs to be done. But all that mm. other important work that needs to be done is part of governance too. So I just needed, I you know, when I heard that, I was like, really, is that still the thing that's right. common thinking? Am I crazy for not thinking this way? You know, how do we get to that place that I'm imagining that we can all get to? I, I'm going to share wh one of the the things that I think has gotten, has has forced some people into that line of thinking that you're suspicious of, which is perhaps the most influential stuff that happens around corporate governance is the reactions to catastrophes right so the like enrons and the financial crises and and so all the regulations that come out of those things that are reacting to a catastrophe and so then educators like me and my peers decide we want to start using case studies that use examples like the challenger space shuttle explosion or like other really yeah, dramatic right. awful things yeah. it's just like why are we using the catastrophes to define corporate governance you know what i mean yeah and I, think I know what that's you mean it. that's yeah that's really interesting i think it's i think it's a couple of things i think people in in leadership positions and and any person right like we aren't good at all things there's going to be some areas that we're better at some skills and tasks we're better at and in order to think about governance in this like wholesome way you need to think about it in terms of like a system and then also the, the input and output of which there are many inputs right and many potential outputs and that kind of thinking takes a lot of work and time and if you're just in the day-to-day -day of doing the governance stuff, right, because it's necessary and you do logistically need to get it done, then taking that step back and really seeing the whole picture 
and really planning out the best picture that you could have is time you don't have, maybe interest you didn't have or like ability that you didn't have. Because some people, I, I think it's this kind of a skill and not everyone can have that integrated For sort sure. of thinking. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's 100% true. And I, I think there's also, there's another thing that we and this is you're now in a position to do this too uh and i hope that you you're you're more careful than i was for the first 20 years of my career which is and you'll this this might sound a little bit hypocritical too because i'm in the process of 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 kind of disseminating content anyway let me i'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll make my point we feel like it's important to boil really big governance concepts down into catchphrases. And it's not that we don't explain the substance behind the catchphrases, but the catchphrases are so much stickier and so much more memorable than the substance is that the consumer of the catchphrase leaves without the substance, right? So we end up with stuff like noses in fingers out right. or you have a duty to the corporation right. oh, or or whatever it is where where which is yeah. they're all kind of vaguely okay yeah, but vaguely then if you okay. ask yeah if you ask somebody okay but what does noses in fingers out right. mean yes exactly what does it mean how do we do this in practice what do we agree as a group that means for us in relation to all the other parts of our governance network like have we thought about how if it's a not for profit, like how the members take part in governance, what do we have to do to prepare them to do their role? What do we like? It's all this, like I said, this system. And to be fair, I think, you know, insofar as we think governance has like a marketing problem, <laughs> I think all other professions have a marketing problem, too, because like my partner is in, is in comms mm. and some leaders, you know, CEOs or whatever, they know they need a marketing or a PR or a comms team, but they don't understand the full potential of that team or like, right. The, right. So I don't know any person that can, that can carry all those different ideas about the fullness of like each task or each area to, and really like get it all together. So maybe that's where like having, knowing at least you don't know, knowing that at least there's more to know and like getting in touch with the people who could possibly know would be yeah. beneficial. But it's then maybe the knowing that you don't know part. Uh, there's another thing, and uh, just sort of taking all of what we've talked about so far and thinking about it, there's another thing, an element of something you asked me that I, I've been kind of obsessed with for a long time, and I have specific strong opinions about it, but they're, they're strong opinions weekly held, as they say, which is you asked something about the, like trying to seek a causal relationship between I'm going to paraphrase good yeah. governance and good performance, which, yeah, you know, rather than me react, I mean, what is, why, tell me where this is coming from, what's interesting to you and, and what you yeah. think. I heard someone say that governance is a method you use to not fail versus a method you use to succeed. And had lots of thoughts around that. You know, we I reached out to you. We had a chat about it. The question then is, if we want to remarket governance, I mm. feel some people would want that evidence to say, show me that then governance is 
a method for success, that there's this direct link, right, between what we do in terms of governance, which is broad, to success, however we define it or how someone would objectively define it. Don't know that that's possible, but so yeah, what would that what would that entail? I don't think you could, because you know the way I see governance, it's a whole bunch of different stuff in a whole bunch of different areas that all add together in mysterious ways, and then bam, either something great comes right. out of it, or you try again, and then something great comes out of it, right? So, like, how do you how do you say performance evaluation of your CEO? That's governance. Thinking right. about your organizational culture, that's part of governance. Like it's all these different little pieces that people don't think collectively are is governance. So yeah, I uh, so I I tell you the the, the challenge that I the, the way that I get challenged on this now, now that I'm framing good governance very specifically mm-hmm. as being intentional about the conditions around decision making, and I'm just basically saying as long as you're intentional that's good. If you're not intentional, that's bad. And someone will say to me, what if the result is bad? And I'll say, well, there's lots of awful decisions that have good results, right? So if we're, if all we're concerned about is the result, it's like, I I used it, some, uh, someone asked me this question in a class this morning and I just said, okay, well, you know, you could just say, hey, I've decided never to wear my seatbelt and always speed and not only am I getting everywhere faster but I don't have the I find seatbelts really uncomfortable so like clearly I've done something really smart and good and you and I might look at it and say that's actually really stupid and they say we can't argue with results and I'll say yeah you can right like you're being stupid (laughs) no that person Um, because unfortunately they're yeah right (laughs) and and what I'm saying is and uh, you know if we're if we're looking for a connection to performance, that's going to elude us because the fact is there's a there's a probability that no matter how well we, the, the, how good the inputs are into the decision, which is all we can control, it's possible that it's going to turn out shitty. Right? Yeah. And then all we can do is approach the next decision really well too. Yeah. I think that's, at least for me, that's more acceptable than bumbling into something, the outcome turning out well and thinking you did a good job. Agree. And <laughs> I think that you're not being intentional about governance just to be intentional about governance. Like there is a point to this, which I think is whether or not you're helping your organization achieve its purpose. I don't think it's about I mean, you can link performance to that, like how well we are achieving our purpose and measure that and view that as the performance. But I think people see performance in other discrete ways, like efficiency of our programs or productivity of our employees. Or like, I think the end goal is always how we met what we set out to achieve, like this vision that we're trying we set for ourselves and if you can be intentional about how you do that then everything else i'm like fine it's all there are going to be some bad years right like who knows bad decisions are made maybe 
the economy was bad. Like we can never control for these things. But if we're always at least heading like that upwards, then I will accept that rather than just like this bumbling like and years were just taking forever and we're not getting anywhere and we're not clear on our purpose and we're not at getting anywhere near to meeting it. Then I'm just like, what are we doing? <laughs> right. Okay. Can I challenge you just a little? And this may be a misinterpretation of what you're saying. Does that imply that failure is always a result of bad governance? So if we ultimately, if our, if our organization fails, is that always a governance failure? I don't think so, because I don't think even despite best efforts, we could possibly know how like, we couldn't possibly know everything, you know? But then, you know, if I'm being really strict about it, like, but maybe I could say, well, like, you know, maybe some organizations could have survived COVID if they had done enough scenario planning. But honestly, is that fair? Right? Like, right. we have possibly have known I, that it would have been to this extent, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Like, there's only so much scenario planning you could possibly imagine. Like, we're not imagining the situation where, where like, Aliens take over the world and exactly. <laughs> we need to pivot our industries to meet the needs of our alien overlords. Like that's not the scenarios we're right. thinking about, you know? So Right. It's it like it, it's, it's really good examples. It's you know, COVID's a great example because how many organizations looked like geniuses for building shiny new buildings until the moment that nobody right. was in them, right? <laughs> and now and we can look at them now and say, What idiots? Right. That was it's like, well, they were brilliant two days ago. We're yeah. like, what? Which one is it? Yeah. So I don't think that just. Yeah. No. You. If you tried your your damnedest, like, I think you deserve a you know a pass. Right. And and again, I think you you've made a really good point. Having clarity of purpose, being intentional on a lot of different fronts. So uh, yeah, this is basically a long way, and I don't know if you've if you're you've hit the same point that I'm at. I I don't really believe that it's all that important to look for a direct causal relationship between good governance and good, let's say, financial performance or even good organizational performance. I think good governance can be measured by experiencing it, but it's hard to measure in other ways. And we can measure compliance, we can measure operations. Governance is something different, sadly. I think that in the practicalities of it, it is not important. But in the terms of everyone understanding it, people not in the field understanding it and viewing it as important enough to consider or like to think about things that way, then I think sadly that could be one piece of evidence that they need for some people. Different people need different, you know, reasoning to compel them to change their minds or or to think about things differently or whatever. But like, I bet there's probably some subgroup that's like, show me how this is related. Show me why I should bother. Show me why I should put some energy, time, resources towards thinking this way. Yeah, this is one of the things that I like about framing governance around decision making is that there's a lot of really good science about uh, we talked about this up front right you, i don't know if the tiktok thing has science behind it but let's say it does 
Certainly the temperature and lighting do. Certainly the infra, there's a lot of stuff about it, uh, people making decisions with incomplete information and all that stuff. Yeah. And so we can say with confidence, yes, these conditions do affect our ability to engage effectively in decision-making as individuals and groups. And someone might say, well, how do decisions affect, you know, the performance of the, and you say, don't <laughs> be an asshole. Why we need a decision for success. <laughs> you just heard a great example of why Jen really stands out to me, especially as a consultant. There's a compulsion to walk into a room as a paid advisor and start by taking a strong stand about what's right and wrong, good and bad, and to impose that on your client from the start. Jen's already got this sense of, yes and that i think is critically important to actually make a useful difference in corporate governance another great example of her cool combination of curiosity and willingness to change her mind came when i was about to wrap up our interview and she asked if we could talk about one more thing like for example i was thinking i think all chairs should be trained for one i'm very interested in this okay just say more because i'm actually a little confused right now and i'd love some clarity about what training actually helps a chair be good right i know <laughs> even as i say that it's like in this ideal world there would be a chair school and then no 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 like what kind of world am i living in um if governance is going to be a tool for helping organizations succeed then it feels like we need to change a lot of minds about what governance is and how it works etc cetera, etc cetera. so how do we get there and what is an efficient way of getting there and i think one way would be if at least the leaders on the board are using that mindset, then they could guide the other X number of people on the board towards that. So then if that's if we think that's true, how do we get leaders to think that way? Would it be something? And my first, I mean, it was like, I don't know, maybe there should be a course. Right. <laughs> but not that, you know, I know like, theoretical in-class learning is not how practical applied like things um, how it happens I, in the real world but i don't have i i don't have a problem with that i i don't think that's but i think what's unclear to me well i have i have internal clarity and confidence in my own opinions but they I, but at the same time it's just my own clarity and my own opinions it's one jerk's opinion and i i could with a lot of uh, with overconfidence go out into the world and say every chair should come and spend a day with me and I'll right. teach you how to be a yeah. great chair because I know what that looks like. Yes, but that's really just my opinion. Yes, what I, it looks yes. like. Yes, and, I understand. Yeah, and there's there's you know I've seen a lot of very well educated board chairs and directors who've taken lots of courses and consumed all of the intellectual property that exists in the world about corporate governance and i don't know that it helps them behave any better <laughs> yeah you know i think maybe it starts with at least helping chairs see the fullness of their role because if they could see themselves past just being a meeting implementer <laughs> mm -hmm. at like most basic level like you started the meeting and you sent the agenda yesterday <laughs> yeah and into you are kind of strategically leading this group of people to think about things in the long term and meeting the purpose and fulfill your duties as a board 
that's like a mind shift for a lot of chairs because I don't sure. think many know that that's within their purview, you know? I do know. And I think I'm going to give a, a, a specific example of another thing that I, that I think chairs kind of, it's not that they mess it up. They do mess it up, but it's not their fault. It's that there's not, there, it's not obvious or why would it be obvious to them that they could do something better, which is, oh, I've got some people in my board who are so smart and every time they speak, they add a lot of value, but they just like always so quiet, no matter how many times I point my finger at them and yeah. say, talk now. Yeah. And so I've given them opportunities to speak and they never do. And, and there's where this, this sort of really much more aware, intentional, social and inclusion yeah. aptitude matters a lot. Yes. And I think there's this tendency to think that that's like beneath a board, right? I, we shouldn't have to do that. Everyone should show up ready to participate. Right. right. Yeah, I know. So part of the, um, I told you I did that like governance 101 or whatever. Yeah. And I spent a little bit of time on the importance of culture and I gave some ideas and hopefully this was helpful to, tell, to them, but I think this could be used in other places too for like, there's different ways for conversations to be held. You can do that round the table where sequentially each person must state something <laughs> which yeah, yeah. puts a lot of pressure on people and it seems very like contrived you yeah. can do the like whoever speaks at first whatever will point at you you go you can do robert's rules where it's like the listing and then you only uh, get a second yeah. chance you know lots of different ways but i think one thing that people could do is to ask the question and say i'll give you a minute to think about it because some people, myself included, I need that moment to just process mm -hmm. and then formulate what I'm going to share and then share it. I can't, I feel less comfortable just being like, here's the question. Okay, now go. I'm probably going to be like, okay, I'll just let everyone else go first. Yeah. And if I really feel like I really want to say something, maybe I will. <laughs> right. So, I, so, I like that idea a lot. I, I, you've actually, I take... I, probably irrationally, I take it even farther where I usually try to give people like a week to think yeah. about it, you that, know, yeah. but yeah, whatever it is, like, I know that's like the ideal where you're like, here's the agenda, here's the questions, here are the thought starters. But then sometimes I wonder if they actually, anyways, that's an aside, but yeah, but, um, there's like the, what is it? The four, three, two, one method that I just saw. It's I don't funny. know it. This wouldn't be, um, maybe useful for boardrooms a bit, maybe in facilitated um, like workshops or whatever, you pose the question, you think about it, you talk about it in a group of four. So it's like a smaller, less intimidating group than like a group mm. of 12. And then you break off into groups of two and then, or is it like one, two, three, four, whichever, like you break off into separate groups until you can all collect together. But by then you've already shared your thought with at least two other people in like a I love it. And so you're less, and everyone's already kind of heard it. So we can all just like get together and share all the interesting ones. And someone's probably going to vouch for your idea because they've heard I, it and they're like, oh, I love it. And I also think that that's a, it's perfect for a board meeting in the sense that, you know, usually we avoid this type of, of 
less formal seeming exercise in board meetings because we believe that it's taking up valuable time. Yes, yes, exactly. And I look at it, I'm just like, well, in a small group, for example, we're much, it's much faster to process 12 ideas down into two or three ideas. We can do it in, you know, 15 minutes instead of trying to do that all in one big group. And so it's actually a time-saving exercise in yeah, a lot of ways. Be. I don't know. Throw that into your next <laughs> client board meeting. Let me know how it goes. One of the most fun parts of having a conversation on the record with a near stranger is that you can almost hear the two of us pushing and pulling against each other's opinions and experiences as we get to know each other and learn. I'm really grateful to Jen for bringing an adventurous spirit to her governance work. Her clients are more lucky to have her than they likely realize. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Sound Up Governance and being part of my journey. Please send any feedback, suggestions, vacation tips, cute pet photos, or whatever to soundup at groundupgovernance.com. Catch you next time.